I want to look at the book of Matthew for a minute. The Lord dropped this message in my heart this morning, and I hope that it's what you need to hear. I'm praying, God, just give them the word they need to hear. I know you've sacrificed to be here. I know that you're believing God for the prophetic unction, and I can sense the hunger in the room, and I, I, wanna, I want you to be able to leave with what you came to get. And so I hope that this message serves that, that ministry and the message that he has for you. But Matthew chapter 10 um, is, is a moment in the life of Jesus where it's almost like the moment in the story when the story starts to slow down and the camera zooms into the leading character and he is beginning to talk and you know that that leading character is going to die or something is going to happen and you can feel it. How many of you love a good movie? I love a good movie. And so it's almost like all of a sudden they're in this story and Jesus is beginning to disciple his disciples. So Jesus has had his, his disciples with him for three years, and he's been doing signs and wonders. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been feeding the thousands of people. They're watching all of this, and all of a sudden, it turns from fish and loaves and a big buffet to if, you, if you're really my disciple, you're going to drink my blood, and you're going to eat my flesh, and people are like, honey, get the kids. This is getting weird. And so Jesus is beginning to teach them. And all of a sudden, he gathers his key leaders, which there's only 12 of them, one of which will betray him. How many of you know that there's a point in your life where we're not betrayed by the outside? It's usually betrayed by one person closest to us. And so all of a sudden, he begins to teach them. And what he's doing is he's telling them it's almost like their leadership lesson that they're going to need because he is going to be crucified, he's going to die, and he's going to go up to the heavens, and they need to know this. And so he's beginning to give them some clarity. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority and power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Let's jump to verse 11. Whatever city or village you enter, ask who in it is worthy who welcomes you and your message and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you go into the house, give it your greeting. That is peace be to this house. If the family living in the house is worthy, welcoming you and your message, give it your blessing of peace. That is a blessing of well-being and prosperity and favor of God. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not welcome you nor listen to your message, as you leave that house or city, shake the dust off your feet in contempt, break all ties. You see, it's interesting that Jesus was teaching them this because as, they're, as he's sharing this with the with his disciples, they would have had a historical context that we don't have as believers, you see, when he, would t when he told them, you're going to go to some places and they're going to love you. They're going to be like, this message is exactly what we need. This is what we've been waiting for. Come. And they're going to welcome you in and they're going to love it. And then there's going to be other places you're going to bring the exact same message and the exact same grace and the exact same anointing. And they're going to reject you and, and just say, there's, there's, this is wrong. We don't like you. And, and I love this because Jesus is telling his disciples that some people are going to like you and some people are going to hate you and it's not that personal. He's literally telling them, hey, just so you know, uh, some places you're going to go, they're going to roll out the red carpet and they're going to see everything that you've done and they're going to love you and they're going to say yes. 
And then there's going to be other places that are going to reject you simply because of the way you look, the way you sound, the message that's in your heart. And he's saying to them, I don't want you to be so distracted by people accepting or rejecting you that you miss the message of the movement. I want you to have a strategy in your life. And he says, I want to teach you a strategy so you can make it through life with people that like you and hate you. And he says, this is the strategy. When you go in to that place and they welcome you, bless them. But if they don't like you and they reject you, I want you to shake the dust and keep moving. And what he's saying to them is this. You're going to need a strategy for offense. You're going to need a strategy for offense because offense will come. And we'll talk about this. But when he tells them to shake the dust, that they would have known that when religious leaders would enter into the Holy Land, they would often literally shake their feet off and they would consider it Gentile dirt and it was too unholy for the promised land and they would declare it unworthy. So when Jesus says this in the book of Matthew, they would know, oh, you mean like the religious leaders that come in and they symbolically shake the dust and walk in. You want us to do that when we go in your name. And so he's beginning to teach them what it looks like to be a disciple. Jesus uses something they would understand but gives it new meaning. What he says to them is this. If you go in my name and they love you, if you go in my name and they hate you, shake the dust because the dust is a distraction to your destiny. The dust is a distraction to your destiny. And if you don't get the dust off of you, you will carry it into the next city. And so what he's telling them is, if you don't know how to deal with offense, the next space you go into, the offense will follow you. How many of you have ever seen that happen with some of us? We think if I can get into a new marriage, I can get a new job, if I can go to a new church, if I can have a new friend group, if I can, and how many of you have often seen it in friends or in your own life where that problem tends to follow you? And why does the problem follow us? Because we don't know how to rid ourselves of the dust. And I want to teach you today about ridding yourself from the dust and getting on with it. You know, uh, Jesus said so clearly, if you find the godless world hating you, remember it got its start hating me. If you've lived on the world's terms, the world will love you as their own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms, I know, and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. You go, this is not encouraging, Havilah. I don't want <laughs> to talk about people hating me. But what I want to do is, is really talk and give the church what Jesus is giving the church, which is strategy to go through hard things with people not accepting and loving and not seeing us. And how do we keep moving? You know, I love uh, what, uh, I love the thought that your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. And so Jesus says to them, you're going to have to deal with the dust. Offense, just according to a, a basic uh, definition, 
is an unresolved issue or an ugly conflict with a loved one or a friend. Offense is an unresolved issue or an ugly conflict with a loved one or a friend. And so Jesus says to them, you're going to have to get the dust off of you so that way you can be completely usable in the next season. If you have dust, when you go in there, the dust in your life will distract those that need to hear the good message and need to be healed and need to be set free. They're going to see the dust that's on you and it's going to discredit the gospel. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to cause there to be conflict. And so he's telling them, you got to get rid of the dust. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how old you are. Um, Some of you, like young Gen Zs, or I don't think millennials are fine, but this is something you may have to Google. You may have to go on YouTube to find. How many of you are like in your 20s right now? Just wave at me for a minute. Okay, in your 20s. And how many of you are younger than your 20? Wave at me if you're in your teens. Okay, there's a couple. Okay. So you'll have to Google this, and you'll have to believe us, but we used to have something called a camera and film. Do you remember this? Now, camera and film. How many of you remember this? This might surprise you, but we didn't take pictures on our phone. We actually had to have a camera, and we had to have film, and we also had to have batteries, remember? Because it didn't matter if you had a camera and film. If you didn't have batteries, you couldn't take a photo, right? And how many of you remember that we would have to go to the, the drugstore? I still think it's funny we call it the drugstore. We have to go to the drugstore and we would buy the value pack, which would give us an extra roll of film. How many of you remember that? And then, this is the crazy part. You, you could take pictures on your camera, but you could never see the photos until you got them developed. How many, right? So we would go, I mean, I'm talking like people are like, I'm living a life of faith. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Faith was having a camera, taking photos, and paying for it before we ever saw it. Like, that is faith right there. Can I get an amen, right? And then we would have to take the rolls of film. You had to use every single photo on the roll of film to get it developed, right? So how many of you remember, you take, this is why we have random photos of our childhood, because our parents were wandering around taking photos to use up the last couple photos so we could get it developed. And then if you had an extra measure of faith, we would, we would purchase doubles. Do you guys remember doubles? That was like half your paycheck. I'm going to get doubles. And we would take the roll of film. You have to Google this. We would take the roll of film and we would go into the drugstore and we would have to fill out an envelope for every single roll of film. Do you remember this? So you would take a pack of 10 and then you would write, sign your name and it would take you about 48 minutes to write it out and you'd put it in and then you would try not to make eye contact with the person that was going to take your camera, your film, because you didn't know what was on there. And so you're hoping they don't remember you. Do you remember that? You're like, somebody could have taken the camera into the bathroom and I don't really know. And then they're going to think I'm a pervert. And so I just need to keep, right? And then we wouldn't get the camera. We wouldn't get the film or pictures for like a week. Do you remember this? And we would put it on our calendar. Like we get to pick up the photos on Thursday. And it was like, it was so exciting. Right. And we would fight over who got to pick up the film because it was like, it would be like, uh, you know, a year ago when we don't even, this is why we would, we would take photos as families. I don't remember this. 
We would take like 16 photos of the same pose because we didn't know if everybody was smiling. And so we had to just be like, keep smiling, keep smiling. And we would have like eight, you know, 74 photos of the same thing because Aunt Bertha couldn't get her face right. And we would go through that, right? And then we would double that. So we had spent hundreds of dollars. And if we got two or even three photos out of the roll, we were like success. And it was a success, a complete success. We would, uh, you know, people would say, I get your doubles. And you'd say, I'm sorry, they're already promised to somebody else. And this is why we have no documentation of our childhood because nobody either, my mom, my mom would never pay for doubles. And it's just what it was, right? Well, a couple, I mean, many, many years ago when I was in my early 20s, I got invited to go on a missions trip to China and Tibet. It was a big deal. It was epic. I saved up all my money for years and years. And I decided that I was going to take my camera and I was going to bring film with me to take photos of this event. It was two weeks and I brought 14 rolls of film. Like this is, I was ready. And I took photos of us riding yaks and drinking yak milk and being in Lhasa, Tibet. I mean, every epic moment of the trip, I took photo after photo. And then I got home and I remember I had to use half of my paycheck to develop them. And I got doubles because I thought this is going to be a big deal. And so I do the doubles. I, I put it in. I'm excited. Uh, I run to the drugstore. I grab all of my film and I run to my car. And you guys know how you just used to just open it up and dump it into the seat next to you, like just going through it all. And I open up the first photo and it's got this white spot and then this kind of like beams. And I'm like, is this an angelic visitation? Like what's happening? And then I go to the next one and I go to the next one. All 14 rolls of film were completely destroyed. Could not see anything. I have no, I have nothing documenting that trip in my life. Because some dust had gotten into the lens of the camera and everywhere I went to take the pictures, that dust had distorted the view and so I could not see anything that happened in that season. When we allow offense and dust to get into the lens of our life, it doesn't matter how good God is. It doesn't matter how gracious. It doesn't matter what he's providing or who's in your life. When you get dust in your lens, all you can see is the dust. And we begin to miss what God is doing because we're so fixated on that one thing. And I don't know, I'm sure this happens to you, but I will travel. I get to travel all the time. We travel, you know, uh, multiple times a month when it's not COVID. And I get to meet people all over the world. And it happens consistently. I will be praying for somebody and they will walk up to me and they will say, can I tell you a story of what I need prayer for? And I'll say, okay, yeah, tell me. And so they'll tell me, well, this happened and then he left me and I've got the kids and I just need to pray. And I feel like, you know, he, you know, should fix this and I'm just trying to get over it. And then I will, without a doubt, I will say, when did this happen? 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Oh, it was 10. Oh, he's married. He has kids now, but you know, and I will say, and in my mind, without knowing, I would think it happened yesterday because everything is whole. I mean, you can feel the pain. You can see the tears. You, can, you literally are like, this just happened. But that's what offense does. 
Offense traps us in a moment and we can't move on unless we cleanse the lens. There's no way. And what Jesus knew when he was telling his disciples is, if you don't cleanse your lens and make sure it's pure, you will miss what God has for you. And you'll be so busy telling people what the dust is and why it's there. You'll miss the clear perspective and the call that God has and the clarity that he wants to show you. Some of you are so distracted by the dust of the political atmosphere, you cannot see what God is doing. Some of us are so distracted by... The vaccine that we cannot see what God is doing. We're like, you're either for us or against us. You're either with us or you're not. I'm just saying, possibly could the enemy be using these things? Not that we have to be, not that we dismiss them. We're not delusional. We're going to look at these things. I'm not asking us to be like, it's not real. No, no, it's true. But my question is, just because it's a fact doesn't mean that it's not the biggest truth we need to look at. And as spiritual women, look at me for just a minute. I want to remind you, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. God wants to give you supernatural vision to see past. Come on. To see past what the earth is telling you and the limitations and the breakdown and the fear and the anxiety and all of the, sh- all of the what-ifs and the could-ifs and is it going to be this way and is it going to be that way? And I'm saying, get your eyes off the dust. The dust is a distraction to your destiny. I mean, look at me for a minute. The dust, the dust in your home, the dust in your marriage, the dust in your church, the dust in your culture, the dust, come on, in your family, the dust in your, if your coworkers, the dust in all of that is distracting us so we don't know what God is doing because we're so busy trying to clean our lens or trying to tell somebody, but I have dust. Everyone's like, yeah, me too. The dust is a distraction to your destiny, and your life is too short, and your calling is too great to live offended. So he tells the disciples, shake the dust. When he says shake the dust, it means to literally shake it so that the thing that tried to hold on to you cannot hold on to you anymore. The way that I see it, I had four kids in five years. I had four boys in five years. I had four C-sections in five years. So I win. No, I'm kidding, but. And it, without a doubt, we would give my kids spaghetti. And you, if anybody had a toddler, I bet you guys did this. How many of you, when you gave your kids spaghetti or something with red sauce, you would strip them down to their diaper and you'd throw them in to the seat? How many of you did that, right? It'd be like, why are you getting, why are, you take, why are they getting naked? They're going to eat spaghetti. It's just what it's going to be, right? And when they, I had my first child, it was like very, like, I'd make sure the temperature was good. And then I would slowly put a warm bath with bubbles and I'd put them in and wash them. By the fourth kid, I'd take them outside and hose them off. <laughs> like, sorry, you should have been born first. Right? But, but how many of you know when they would eat all that food, you would walk by them and they would try to reach out for you and you'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Right? Mommy doesn't love you that much. That's what offense does in our lives, you guys. 
We could be, we're going through our life and offense is constantly trying to pull you in, to grab you, to connect with you. I remember one time I took a job and the person who had had the job before me had left in a very kind of a, uh, had resigned and left. I knew it was an ugly story, but to be honest, I didn't know the story. And so that person called me and said, if you ever want to know the real story, um, or she said, let me have a meeting with you. So we had coffee together and she kind of, you know, skirted around what had happened. And then she said to me, if you ever want to know the whole story, here's my card, call me and we can have lunch. And when she walked out of the office, I took the card and I walked over to the trash can and I threw it away. Why? Because I am already dealing with my own dust. I don't need yours. And for some of you, you're busy trying to deal with other people's dust and you don't know why you're exhausted and overwhelmed and having a hard time. And I'm saying because you only have grace to deal with your dust. And when you try to take on everybody else's dust, you end up being overwhelmed, overworked, overconcerned, and we miss the reality that we cannot afford. I cannot afford to have the dust of broken, offensive relationships that you have in my life. I'm already trying to keep my lens clean. And that takes a lot of effort. Can I get an amen? I don't know if it's just easy for you, but everywhere I look, I wanna be offended. I can be offended. I've got some good evidence to be offended. How many of you know that in the court of law, the offense that you have faced is absolutely true? It wasn't like Jesus said, well, they didn't really reject you. You're just being extra sensitive. They didn't really not receive you. Like, you guys, toughen up. No, he's like, they hated you for no reason. They don't like you. You did it all the right reasons. You tried with everything you had to do the right thing, and they still despised you. So you're going to have to get the dust off your lens because there's a greater calling in your life than you sitting and looking at the dust. Jesus said so clearly to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Why does he say that? He says, it is impossible for you not to experience dust. I always say, if you have not been hurt by someone this year, stand up, we wanna beat you up. <laughs> like just stand, let's just get it done with. I don't know anybody who hasn't been hurt this year by something or someone. But Jesus says, it's one thing to have dust thrown at you. It's another thing for you to be throwing dust at people. And so he says this, it is impossible that offenses should come. When you look at the amplified version, it says stumbling blocks, temptations and traps set to lure one into sin are sure to come. But whoa, judgment is coming through whom they come. Stumbling blocks. Temptations and traps set to lure one into sin. Now, why is that important? You know, I went to, I grew up in South Lake Tahoe, but I went to high school in LA, Pasadena area, and we lived up by the mountains, and amazingly enough, we had possums in LA. You guys know what possums are, right? Like, how do we know the devil is real? Possums, okay. <laughs> so we called them out to come and gather the possums. We had these humane society, and you know, in California, they have like velvet colored, you know, uh, velvet covered cages and they ship them to exotic, uh, exotic islands. I'm kidding, but California is crazy. Not, it's not like Texas where they take them out back and shoot them. But they take, basically, they take them and they, they would come and collect them. Well, we ended up having like seven possums. And so I was watching him put the, the trap out one day and I said, so how does this work? 
And he goes, well, you put the little food here, and then the animal smells it, and he wanders in. And when he wanders in, his body triggers the lever, and it shuts him in it. And he's stuck. And this is what the Bible is saying. He's saying there are things that you have gone through or will go through that are baiting you. And they're trying to get you to get stuck in a moment. And so this is why 10 years, 15 years later, we're still in that moment. And how many of you know, even psychologically, if you do a study, you'll find that when people haven't been healed from situations, when they bring it up, it does feel like it was today. They're not being dramatic. Your whole body, your physical part experiences the pain like it happened yesterday, even if it was 20 years ago, because your brain doesn't know the difference. It just knows that it's real. And so what the Bible is saying is, if you don't see offense and pain as a trigger to the trap, then you will get stuck in moments and you will miss everything God has because you're sitting in the moment of the trap. What is God trying to do today? He's trying to come and open up the trap doors to let us walk out and say, you know what, honey, that you don't need to be there anymore. You don't need to get stuck there. You're not going to get trapped there. This isn't where you're going to land in your marriage and your hope and your faith. This isn't where you're going to land. You see, I believe there are things that happened in 2020 and 2021 that have tried to adhere themselves to you. They've tried to hurt you. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 27, it says, and do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin. And then it tells you the four ways we get led into sin. You ready? By holding a grudge, by nurturing anger, by harboring resentment, or by cultivating bitterness. (laughs) It's pretty clear. He says, listen, the way the enemy is going to attack you is not going to be what you think. It's going to be the dust in your life. And he's saying, you're going to have to clean it up. So why, how do we clean it up? How do we deal with offense? Well, we have to shake it off. We have to call it what it is. We have to be honest with ourselves. And sometimes we're going to have to shake it and shake it and shake it until it finally falls off. And so for some of you, you may say, Havila, I have shook and I have, sh- I have shook and shook and shook and shook. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a moment in your heart and mind where you shake it so much that eventually it lets go. It has no power. And what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus was giving his disciples, which is who you are, you're his disciples. He was giving you and I permission to shake the dust that we don't need to heal them, we don't need to help them, we don't need to set them free, we don't need to keep coming back, we don't need to convince them, we don't need to show them that our motives are pure and that they should believe us and give me another chance and I'm sure that they just misunderstood. No, some of them, they hate you. And you're wasting all of your energy on the people that hate you rather than focusing on those that love you. And I know that because I'm, I'm a woman. <laughs> And there's something in all of us that wants to save people from a painful experience. There's something in all of us that wants to make it right. And I'm saying Jesus is saying to them, you don't have to make it right. Shake it off, do the work, and keep going. It is a distraction to your destiny. If the enemy can get you to pause, stop, wait around for it to get fixed, you're not going to be able to do what God's called you to do. There are people that are offended at me today. And I still sleep wonderfully. 
and I still love my family. And some of the things they've said are painful and hurt. I remember one time, um, well, I won't even go there. I'll just leave it alone. But I have had pain. And the truth is we just have to keep going. Keep going. I want to share this story with you as I close. So for many of us, I think in the church, we have a lot of pain because we've misunderstood some of what matters to God and why it's important to him. So if you guys know me, I have four boys and um, a couple of years ago, we told our boys that we would take them to Disneyland. And you guys know you can drive from here to Disneyland. It took about eight hours from where we lived. And we got really excited about it. So we had our two eldest, our two older boys, which was Hudson at that age, and Jude was a little older, like six and seven. We told them that they could earn some money for Disneyland if they did some chores around the house. How many of you love to get your kids to work in Jesus' name? Yes, okay. So I'm like, okay, and so my eldest son, his love language, you know the, the five love languages, his is money, and so he's like, I'm in, I'm in. So Judah goes in and he's like, I said, you have to empty the dishwasher and you have to clean the windows and I'll give you, you know, a dollar for each thing that you complete. I definitely should have said a quarter, but I said a dollar. And so he's beginning to work. My other son, Hudson, is like, could care less. How many of you are a firstborn in the room? You're a firstborn. See, firstborns keep us together. You're the one on time. You probably drove here. You're the one taking notes, right? Firstborns make everybody work. Like, that's just how it is. How many of you know you're a firstborn? You're responsible for everybody. That's how firstborns live. How many of you are middle children? Wave at me if you're a middle child. You're probably on your phone. You probably don't even know what's happening. You don't know how you got here. You're just living your best life, and you're a middle child. Well, my middle child was like, I'm not working. I'm going to Disneyland anyway. I don't need money. Like, that's how he was living. And so Judah begins to work, and he works and works and works, and he makes $14, which is a lot of money for a seven-year-old. So he comes in, and he's like, can you buy me a wallet? And I go, yeah, I can buy you a wallet. And I put it in, and, <laughs> and then he... Um, we, we get all packed up to go. Now, mind you, that's four kids in car seats and booster seats, and it's packed in. We look like we're moving. It's just, huge, you know, packed up. And we, we get into the car, and we're ready to go. And then we remember that Hudson's birthday is this week, and Grandma and Grandpa had sent him a card. So we send the card down to Hudson. He's in the very back in the third row stadium seating. And so we give it to him. And he opens it up, and when he opens it up, he yells out this excitement, and it sounds like it's the price is right. He's screaming. I look up. He's got a card in one hand, and he has a $20 bill in the other hand. And I realize like, we're, we are rejoicing because we know this is his only birthday gift, so we need to, like, make it a big deal. Do you know what I mean? When you have big families, you make everything. We're like, hey. It's Mother's Day and your birthday. Congratulations. Like, we, we always partner things together because it's like we would already be doing it, but every vacation is that kid's birthday vacation because that's how we do it with big families. It's just how it is. So, so Hudson, we're all yelling, and he's excited, and then I realized Judah is in the car. And Judah's sitting between Beckham and Grayson in the, in the car seats, and his arms are folded, and he has these big brown puppy dog eyes, and they're half filled with water. And I look over at Judah, and I go, oh! Judah, does that make you sad? He goes, <gasps> starts screaming. I'm like, okay, yes, mystery solved. It does make you sad. 
So he starts screaming. And so I go into mom mode. Now, anybody who's a mom understands these modes. My first mode is the mother that I want to be. It lasts for about five minutes, but it's the mother that I always want to be, which is, honey, I love you. I know that hurts your heart. Things are going to hurt your heart, and I'm here to help you. And, you know, I just, I love you. We're going to make it through this, right? And usually that doesn't work ever. And so then we go into the next parenting mode, and I call it coach mode, which is, I'm sorry, life isn't fair. Suck it up. Everybody has to do this right? It's coach mode, right? Sorry, take a lap. That's just what it is. It's how life works. You know, I didn't get to go to Disneyland when I was your age. So, you know, right? And then that's not working. So I have now, you got to suck it up, Judy. You're okay. It's all going to be fine. And then I go into the third and final parenting mode, which nobody likes to admit, but I call it terrorism. And it's where we begin to yell threats and we're not going to Disneyland. We are never going to Disneyland. Even when you get married, you're not going to be allowed to go to Disneyland. And you know what? I'm getting out, honey. Unpack the car. It's over. You have ruined this for everybody. Do you know what I mean? You've ruined this for everybody. And I'm saying, and you know what? $14 is only going to buy a hot dog. So it's not even a big deal, right? And I'm, I'm leaned over in the middle seat and I am now preaching my best message, right? Of like, you know, this is, you know, we're going to get out of the car. And I look over my husband's like, I'm going, this took me six hours to pack. Like, I will be happy to let you and Judah out if that's what you want. And as I'm leaning over to Judah and I am, I'm giving it my all. It's not my brightest, best moment, but I'm in it. I say something, and when I say it, I hear the Holy Spirit say, that's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> Don't you love it when God does that? When you're very, you're like, Not now. No. <laughs> right. Not now. I'm busy taking care of your kid who can't get it together. And so as I'm yelling at him, I look, as I'm yelling, I'm in his face, and I'm, I've gone from... I love you, you're incredible, to suck it up, buttercup, to, you know what, your whole life's going to be a mess, that. I say, Judah, you are not going to go without. Judah, you are not going to go without, son. Your housing is taken care of, or your car ride, you're going to get into Disneyland. Like, you're not going to go without, And as I said it, the Holy Spirit said to me, you act like Judah a lot. I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, you know, Havilah, most of the faith walk is a $14 day. We give a little, we get a lot. We give a little, we give a lot, right? $14. We get up, we give a little. God gives us, he outgives us every single day. You might go, well, I don't know. Let me ask you, did you get an invoice for the oxygen you're using today? Did you get an invoice? Did you get an invoice for the relationships that you have in your life? Did you get it? I mean, could you imagine if God wanted glory for everything? You look up and it says, this sunset is brought to you by God, you brats. Right? Could you imagine? Or like every leaf is turned over, made in heaven. 
Like everything is marked by God. God just freely gives to us. And you are, you know us, we're like, God, I gave you everything. And he's like, it was like a week that you gave me everything. Right? It was, a, it was a strong week, like Pastor Hope was saying. Like, I tithe for a week, and now my house isn't paid off, so God doesn't love me. And so that's the, that's the dilemma, right? But God always outgives us. We don't deserve what we have. We're using his oxygen. We've got his sunlight. We have our relationships. Most of us can move and walk and have our being and life, and that's a gift. But every once in a while, someone gets a $20 moment. They didn't earn it. They shouldn't have got it. It's like, you know, how is she getting married? I am cuter than she is. How are they singing? I'm a better singer. I've always been a better singer than them. They're flat, right? How are they getting to be pastors? Like I, I could be, I could do this so much better. And we watch somebody, maybe you've prayed for a baby and then someone goes, I didn't even try, I just got pregnant. Like I looked at him and we were pregnant and you're like, I'm gonna punch you. We've been pleading to God for years and years and years for a baby, and then you just accidentally get pregnant. You just accidentally get married. You just accidentally get, a, get to have the grace, the call. You just accidentally get the favor, really? And I don't know about you, but I wish I was gracious, but I'm not. It makes me think, what am I missing? When people get good things, I'm like, what am I missing? And at times, I would even demonize them in my heart. Like, well, Dave, there's probably a lot going on that we don't know about. <laughs> right? Well, I'm sure their home life is a mess because, you know, can't have it all. <laughs> and yet the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Havilah, most of your life with me is a $14 day, and every once in a while I give a $20 moment and the dust that you are facing in your life is that you are devaluing your $14 day because of someone's momentary $20 moment. And he said, if you don't acknowledge that they got it, they didn't earn it, but hey, they got it. And if you don't celebrate with them, then when you have your $20 moment, and you will, nobody will be there to celebrate you. No one will be there to acknowledge you. No one will be there to celebrate you. And here's what I think. I think there's a lot of dust that flies around our environments because we don't value our $14 days. We don't value the fact that we give a little, we get a lot. He's always good. We'd rather have one day with him like this than a thousand elsewhere. Like it's worth it. And for some of you right now, the dust has distracted your lens. You cannot see what God is doing. You cannot see what he's healing. You cannot see how he's pouring out his grace and his love and his compassion. You cannot see the call that's on your life. You feel like everything is paused in time. Like I couldn't date in 2020 and I couldn't get pregnant in 2020 and I couldn't do this. And I'm saying to you right now, God wants to give you a breakthrough to get the dust out of your view. I want you to stand with me. Just put your stuff down and stand for a minute. I believe God wants us to activate this word. Isn't it funny that as we start to talk about offense, all you can think about is someone else? <laughs> I wish my mom was here. I hope she hears this. And what I want to say is your life is too short. And your calling is too great to live distracted by the dust that the enemy has set up for you to mess with your lens, 
to take from you. And what I'm asking is that God would be able to go in and take the rag of mercy and grace and love and restoration and healing, and he would dip it in his grace and mercy, and he would wipe our lenses clear that we would begin to see who he is and what he's doing in our life, that we would not look to the left or to the right, but we would see, you know what? My $14 day is a worthy call. Twenty-two years ago, I sat in this room. I was a young woman. I had a lot of fear and anxiety because I didn't have any gifts or graces to offer God. I didn't feel like I had anything to wow Him. And I came here to see a man named Tim Story. He was one of my favorites. And while we were here going through the School of Miracles and I'm just soaking it up, he says, does anybody in this room play piano? I think this was Ron Cannoli's church. Is that right? Okay, my brain. Okay, I'm catching up. All right. And he said, can anybody play for me? And, and I raised, I go, I, I play, but I'm not great. Like I, I'm not, that's not my best strength, but I can. And he goes, come on up here. And so I wandered right here at the age of 19 and I played piano as he ministered prophetically and people got healed. And I look back at that moment and I realize that God saw this moment 25 years ago. If I had belittled the $14 day, if I had thought that it wasn't worthy and I wasn't that great and it's I'm, no one sees me and I'm invisible, I did not know that God had $20 moments set up for me, but I would not be in the room if I had let that $14 day be discounted and taken away from me. And for some of you, look at me right now, the offense that you are carrying is going to be generational if you don't get rid of it. If you don't deal with your offense toward God, toward man, toward people, if you don't get the edge out of your heart, then you will pass it on and you will not be able to set a generation free. You will not be able to get, raise kids that are pure at heart. You will not be able to see what God is doing. You will not be a pure vessel for him because you'll be so busy focused on injustice that you won't actually be focused on the gospel. And I wanna remind us today that God wants to help you that you might feel like you're the girl that's messing up the cords, trying to do their best. But God sees the 20 other moments that are coming your way. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. He is not going to withhold from you. You don't need to be afraid. He is not going to withhold from you. He is moving heaven and earth to get to you.